Welcome to the Zenove Podcast. You're listening to our Business Resilience Series, where we bring to you conversations between eminent industry stalwarts and thought leaders from across the globe as they discuss their insights on overcoming challenges and the mindset that help them navigate the journey of crisis, resilience, and growth. Hello, and welcome to the brand new episode of Zenove Podcast. I'm Pari Nadrajan, CEO of Zenove, and I'll be your host today. We have a special guest with us who needs no introduction. Please welcome Jim Heppelman, CEO of PDC. Jim has spearheaded PDC thought leadership and development of its market-leading sort of technologies. Under Jim's leadership, PDC has evolved to become a category leader in the product lifecycle management, um, sentences industry-leading technology portfolio, transitioned to a subscription business model, and pioneered the SaaS transformation of the industry. It has resulted in significantly accelerated top-line growth and increased profitability for the company. Welcome to this episode, Jim. It's a pleasure to have you join us today. Yeah, great. Well, thank you, Pari, for uh, inviting me. I'm you know, happy and looking forward to the topic uh, of artificial intelligence. There's lots of interesting stuff happening there, and it's uh, great to have this chance to talk to you about it. Um, great. And if, if the last few months is all about generative AI and the impact and disruption is causing to the industries. But if you look at a lot of the talk and discussion is really about how is it going to change the role of marketing? How is it going to change the role of sales? And even how is it going to change the role of software developers? Because things like Copilot is going to do part of the job. But there's not a lot of talk about um, how is it going to impact physical design uh, or a design of physical products. And you are a thought leader in this area across your products, be it Creo, uh, Vinchel, Vuforia, and, and ServiceMax. It'd be great to hear how are you thinking about uh, it changing your business and, and your customers' business. Yeah, Pari, I think uh, already there are three uh, applications of AI in our products, and then maybe a fourth one we could talk about uh, coming, let's say. Uh, so already our products... Uh, you know, use AI and machine learning for uh, analyzing, for example, IoT data or predictive analytics. Um, we already have a generative technology in our Creo CAD software that generates 3D shapes, sort of like chat GPT, but, but it's not generating text. It's generating uh, mechanical geometries, you know, for parts and products. And then uh, we have computer vision uh, in our Vuforia suite that actually trains on CAD models and configurations of CAD models to be able then using the camera on your phone or smart glasses to be able to recognize real world objects that match those CAD model configurations. So those three, you know, machine learning, predictive analytics, uh, 3D generative and, uh, and computer vision are already in products we ship. You know, I think chat GPT and Copilot for software uh, that that's interesting because on one hand, PTC writes a lot of software. So yeah. as you mentioned, we could, in theory, uh, use Copilot, ChatGPT to write our software. But of course, our customers write a lot of software in their products um, and they have the same opportunity, really. You know, the embedded software, if you will, could, uh, to a large degree, potentially be generated by uh, by technology like uh, ChatGPT and Copilot. So there's lots of stuff happening and uh, I think we'll find a lot more in coming years. But you know, we're already multiple steps into this uh, AI revolution here at PTC. And how does it uh, now with the service Mac integration, uh, now you have a view of 
not just the initial design of the product, but all the instances of your product, what you design or, or the customers use your product to design um, across, across the world with different customers. Is that going to change how you design products, the, the inputs and the data which is, being, which is there in ServiceMax? How does it feed into the design of the products? Yeah, I mean, I think if we think of the product lifecycle uh, and maybe also bring in the topic of sustainability, you know, we're thinking about the product itself. Is, is, is the product a green product? Um, and then are the processes of making, using, and servicing the product as green as they could be? And what can we learn in the manufacturing that would improve the product? And, and what can we learn in the service process that will uh, improve the product? So certainly adding service max to the PTC suite is very interesting because now we can track the uh, installed base of products that a cust- you know, our customer has at their customer sites, uh, track each and every serial number and what's its lifecycle history and what service needs does it currently have and what service needs do we anticipate. Um, and we can do things, uh, you know, predictive analytics, uh, of course, you know, the old saying, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, so preventing a problem is generally far more efficient than fixing it after it happened. Uh, we'd all rather prevent a heart attack than recover from one, right? Um, so so pre- predictive analytics can be very helpful to avoid more serious downtimes, but also uh, technologies that allow you to do remote service. You know, rather than dispatching a truck with a technician, which will consume fuel and, and tie up the technician for, you know, hours, if not uh, a day or more, uh, we can log into the remote product using IoT technologies and debug and do diagnostics and maybe reset something or change some parameters and, and get that product working again in, in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases. So the most efficient truck role and service is the one you don't do. And uh, with IoT coupled with AI predictive analytics, we can avoid a lot of truck rolls. And, uh, and we could also learn, you know, like how much energy does the product consume when it's being used and, and how could we think about ways to lower that? So I think, uh, I think that there's so much we can do with AI and with sustainability and having the ability to actually interact with the install base of products is critical to, to, to get the learnings. What's going on? How can I, how can I make it better? Got it. So a lot of the new generative AI technology will also help you in, uh, in, in discovering some of the problem. You probably would not be able to just discover it based on rule-based. Uh, yep, policy. absolutely. And, and there's a few other things about generative that are very interesting, um, again, as it relates to sustainability and otherwise. Uh, if you think about um, the carbon footprint of a product, a lot of it has to do first and foremost with the materials in the product. Yeah. Uh, what materials did you select? And so there's two ways that uh, generative can help. First of all, dematerialization. We can produce parts that include fewer materials. But the second thing is to regenerate designs using a different greener material. Let's say we have an existing design using a material that's got a carbon footprint we don't like. We could ask generative technology, show me a version of that part that uses this other material or, or this whole range of materials and this whole range of manufacturing processes that I think are greener and uh, more, let's say, carbon friendly or, or uh, climate friendly. And uh, generative will come back and give us a whole portfolio of choices. Say, well, this part that you used to make, I don't know, in steel, you could make in aluminum. Aluminum is more recyclable. Uh, you know, this part you made in plastic. Of course, plastics based on uh, petrochemicals. You could instead make with this other material. But, but the shape would have to change. 
because of course the material properties not only have a carbon footprint, but they have physical, you know, physics type uh, properties as well that are important. And so uh, a different material might require, generally does require a different geometry. So generative can be like the best friend, the co-pilot, if you will, to the mechanical engineer uh, to help them understand different approaches they could take to accomplish the same ends, but with a, with a different material and frankly, much less of it because generative, uh, generative design is very stingy. It doesn't waste material where it's not really required. And you end up with very organic shapes typically because uh, turns out mother nature was quite an efficient engineer. Yeah. So you end up with a lot of designs that look like mother nature might've uh, come up with them herself. And yeah. what are the, you know, we're talking about sustainability and, and if you look at decarbonization, all the industry you work with, right? And that's where decarbonization is a big priority, be it automotive companies, large mining companies, oil and gas companies. And when they come and visit your sustainability labs, right, and you have a great employee experience, customer experience center in your office, so what are the big questions uh, they have for you in terms of innovation, how you can help? Yeah, I mean, so first, let me acknowledge what you said, which is, our customers who are manufacturing customers, companies, generally have carbon footprints that, you know, are not insignificant. They, they, they are consumers of energy. They produce products that consume energy. So uh, they're coming to us and saying, can you help me? Because to really move the needle, you have to fundamentally reconsider the product. You know, if, if you said, I'm only going to care about the product when the design is done. Well, you've already locked in so many choices then that, that, you know, you can only make changes kind of, let's say at the margin, if you really want the entire product lifecycle to be more efficient, you have to back all the way up to the design. And you have to say, now, as we design this product, I need a lot more insight into the implications of the choices that engineers are making. I mean, I think we all know that, uh, Engineers, for example, don't spend that much money, but they lock in the cost. You know, they make decisions that determine how expensive the product will be when it's made later. Uh, so just like if you want to uh, remove cost, let's say do value engineering, you got to go back up and reconsider the design. Yeah. And so just like there's value engineering, there's sustainability engineering where you'd say, okay, we have this product, but let's back up and rethink it a little bit. Let's, let's understand where the carbon footprint comes from the manufacturing process, from the use of the product, from the uh, service that might you know, happen during the use of the product. How can we reconsider all of that stuff? How can we design with different materials? Uh, how can we design for different energy sources, you know, electric instead of uh, let's say fossil fuels or something like that. And then how could we uh, put, for example, IOT type features, uh, features into a product so that we could remotely monitor it and, uh, and, you know, service in a much more efficient way so that everything doesn't later require a truck roll. I mean, some stuff will, but every truck roll we avoid, you know, is really moves the needle. So I think companies are asking us PTC and, you know, probably our competitors help me here because, uh, I know I can't move the needle if I don't bring this knowledge upstream into engineering. So PTC helped me with technologies and analytics tools and whatnot that would help me to better understand uh, what's possible. Yeah, that's amazing. And design, like design for manufacturing, it's almost a design for sustainability. Yep, um, absolutely. That is, that's, yeah. that's going to be a big practice because, uh, you know, what, what's happening now, particularly with public companies in the U.S. and in Europe, for sure, 
is uh, there are more and more regulations saying that a company must provide reporting and transparency on its climate footprint. And then in many cases, the company must make uh, commitments to uh, improve that carbon footprint over time. So uh, when a CEO and a CFO, you know, get beat up by their investors around their climate footprint, they turn to their engineers and say, guys, help, you know, we need to make some changes here to our product concepts so that I can report, you know, a, a roadmap to uh, an improved climate footprint to my investors. And so uh, this is really becoming a hot topic now in boardrooms and, and therefore in uh, engineering departments. Uh, interesting. I think the impact what PDC could create here is uh, is going to be massive. And it's not been talked about that much uh, because yeah. really when you solve it in design, uh, that could take care of a lot of the other issues um, in the overall uh, value chain of the product. Right. Um, I mean, if I design a product that uses a material that has a bad climate footprint, what's the factory going to do other than use that material that has the bad uh, carbon footprint? So it really is, at the end of the day, all about the design. And so uh, stepping into, again, you talked about sustainability, you talked about um, broad AI use, but how do you see AI playing a role in um, productivity of uh, design engineers? And if you look at globally, there is a massive um, you know, talent crunch for digital uh, employees. And the yep. same thing with people using your products and, and your services, what you're launching. Uh, how is AI going to play a role um, in, in in improving that, or is, is it this kind of skills required to use uh, a PTC range of products going to be different in the future compared to what it is today? Yeah, well, I mean, first, let me say, I think AI will uh, ultimately be in every kind of business software, maybe social software, too, but I'm really more on the business side of things. Uh, so I think it will become pervasive and, you know, it's already showing up in lots of places. But I think we're uh, we're probably in a phase now where the best role for AI is uh, sort of the co-pilot idea, you know, a helper that helps an engineer make good decisions and, and comes up with ideas and so forth, but still in the end defers the final decision to the engineer. I think we're probably some distance away, and I'm not sure it'd be a good thing anyway if if uh, if we took the engineers out of the process and just let AI, you know, make products for us. Uh, we might not like those products, uh, but, but certainly AI can be very helpful and, uh, I think it can bring great productivity, you know, like on one hand, you worry about losing jobs, but on the other hand, the real world we're in, you can't find anybody to hire. So it'd be nice if we didn't need so many jobs um, in the real world here. So I think that tools that make engineers take another step function forward in productivity would be uh, very, very welcome uh, by our customers. One of the thing is that AI done right, you know, in our world, AI needs to be blended with physics and simulation. Uh, but here, we can't just borrow uh, product concepts from other products. We actually have to make sure the physics works. You know right. what I mean? You can't just say, well, here's a design that's like that design. You have to say, and I've simulated it to make sure that given the loads and the material properties and the geometry, this part won't break, for example, when, uh, when used in the product. So, uh, you know, it's a bit complicated, but the ability for generative, for example, to provide great suggestions to an engineer, if nothing else, simply to inspire them, but but potentially to solve the problem for them. I think it's it's a it's a powerful idea. And so these are some of the you know advantages, right? But what are some of the concerns in your mind as you deploy AI and your customers deploy AI widely across uh, your product suites and how they use your products? 
Yeah, I mean, the first uh, most obvious concern is um, intellectual property boundaries. You know, um, I'll say, you know, when PTC thinks about using uh, chat GPT and Copilot for our own software coding, you know, we're a little concerned. We're a little concerned that uh, it might generate code that violates somebody else's copyright uh, and it might exfiltrate our, you know, best algorithms out into the public domain and help other people generate code that's like some of our best code. So mm. so I'd say that's the first concern. Okay. The second thing is uh, uh, as it relates to code, for sure, you know, generative technologies like ChatGPT and Copilot, they, uh, they copy the bad ideas and the malware ideas just as readily as they copy the good ideas. Okay. So, uh, you know, what's happening now is malware sources are training ChatGPT and Copilot on malware so that it might generate for you an algorithm that works fine, but it also contains some kind of cybersecurity problem. And if you're not very, very careful to study what it generated, you might just roll that into your code and, and there you have a problem. So I'd say intellectual property boundaries uh, and then and then learning bad ideas while you're learning good ideas in the AI algorithms is, uh, is also for me a concern. Okay. No, I mentioned, uh, for a generative 3D, we can a little bit solve the latter problem by making sure we bring in physics. We're not just copying a shape, we're copying a shape and making sure with simulations that the physics will work. Um, so it's probably gonna protect us from uh, bad ideas, but but I, I, I still worry about intellectual property. You know, if, uh, if my customers use generative design and it generated shapes that were built into products and then those companies were sued because the product uh, violates a patent somebody else had, they might come back to me and say, Hey, what's going on here? We use the tech, the, the shape you generated for us. So we have to be careful with that kind of thing. And interesting some level um, as a product uh, creator, the kind of uh, a liability you might have to sign off as you build out generative AI could be very different compared to what you, you would have to be because the engineers now, use you as a tool to design, but you're now going to provide part of the design, then... Yeah, I think I think software companies are very worried about this co-pilot technology that generates source code. Very worried about it. In fact, uh, many companies, uh, including PTC, at this point don't allow our engineers to use it to generate production code. Uh, a lot of companies are doing pilot projects and so forth, but but I know at PTC and, and Amazon and Google and, and many other software companies are telling their engineers, don't use that because the risk of, uh, of accidentally copying copyrighted code or going the other direction, exporting some of our top intellectual property out into the world of ChatGPT, it's just too risky. Um, again, I think generative design for 3D is different because of the physics element of it, but, uh, ChatGPT is really just about copying ideas from other sources, basically. Interesting. So other challenge you've been reading about is whole shop laws and, and, and could potentially create inequality because already there is a huge issue around, you know, uh, the money getting concentrated with the less, less number of people with AI coming in. Uh, how do you see that impacting jobs, equality in, in, broad, in broad society? Have you thought about those issues? Well, um, I have, and I and I do think uh, that AI, let's say in general, now going beyond manufacturing and engineering use cases, yeah. I think in general, 
it will uh, eliminate a lot of jobs. Now, uh, is that good or bad? Then we have to have that debate because uh, a lot of companies right now are struggling to hire people. And so like if you could eliminate the need for people that you can't anyway hire, that's a good thing. So, um, and then I think if you project population uh, demographics into the future, you also say like this labor shortage isn't going to go away for a long time. Like here in the U.S., there's a profound labor shortage. Uh, unemployment rates are super low. Even in a bad economy, they're super low. And we're not producing the population growth. And, and frankly, we don't allow enough immigration either. So it's a catch-22, you know. Uh, I can't hire the people. So a technology that might lessen my demand for people maybe is a good thing. So I don't know. I, I think the world's in a place right now where the population growth is slowing down and, uh, and tools that reduce our need for mundane workers are probably a good thing to allow us to maintain the standard of living that we have. That's my current opinion. Now, let me, let me keep thinking about this because uh, we'll see how it develops. But uh, my current thinking is it's, it's probably okay. And you think it's going to be a, a deflationary trend? Technology in general has been deflationary, but AI improving productivity of people and we are, we are now facing a major inflation uh, issue, but do you see this as a deflation? I, I, I do see it uh, being deflationary. Uh, I belong to a, a CEO group that meets quarterly, and uh, we just had a meeting last week, and you know CEOs of all kinds of tech companies. Okay. And listening to some of their stories, uh, it's just shocking. Like uh, anybody who's in the publishing business, like, like one CEO I was talking to, uh, uh, summarizes uh, law documents. Okay. You know, so legal briefs and stuff like that need to be summarized so that you can search through the summaries and find the one you want and so forth, you know, in legal publishing, let's say. And they looked at chat GPT and said, wow. I mean, what it takes for a human to read a document and summarize it is hours and hours and hours of work and chat GPT can do it in like three seconds. So they're saying like, Wow, I mean, we almost have to immediately shift to using ChatGPT and having the worker just review what ChatGPT generated, because we'll be disrupted if we keep doing it manually. What you know, in hours, what ChatGPT can do in seconds. Um, so I do think there are profound, in some cases, profound productivity benefits to AI that companies will have to consider. Uh, lest they risk being disrupted by them. So, Jim, so final question. So what are you excited about personally around AI in the next three, five years? Um, I know it's a long time. Three months ago, there was some new technology. We didn't, we didn't hear about that much. But how, yeah. what are you excited about in the future? Well, I mean, uh, I'm personally, I, I love uh, computer vision and I love uh, generative design. The, the, I mean, I love it all, but those two, you know, okay. are so three-dimensional and graphical. Um, I think with uh, 3D design, we need to make it much more accessible. I mean, chat GPT goes viral because anybody right now can fire up a web browser, browser, Google the word chat GPT, find a hyperlink, and you're trying it. You know what I mean? 20 seconds from now, you can be trying it. Uh, Whereas in the world of CAD, whoa, where would I start? So um, I know uh, at PTC, we plan to put... uh, generative design in our Onshape technology, which runs in a web browser. 
Okay. And uh, we now have uh, re kind of restarted the uh, free access to Unshape program. So, you know, we hope to make generative design as readily accessible for people to try and experiment with as ChatGPT is. And, uh, and we'll do that with Onshape and, of course, maintain what we have in Creo, but try to democratize the concept much more so with Onshape. And then computer vision, you know, uh, this ability to study CAD models and then find those objects in the real world and, and then transfer knowledge about those objects that you have in the digital world in a, in a PLM database, for example, onto the objects in the real world. That's just fascinating. I mean, I never get sick of seeing those demos. Um, and, uh, and the technology is moving so fast, too, you know, where, where that whole database of PLM information can be automatically generated into augmented reality artifacts and delivered out in the physical world right on top of the products. I mean, it's just fascinating. So uh, I'm very excited about that type of stuff as well. Thanks, Jim. And PDC has always been uh, not just uh, driving innovation, but setting the vision for the industry and kind of guiding the industry to achieve that vision. Uh, similarly, around AI, especially around uh, the, in the physical world, AI use of designing of the physical world, I'm pretty sure our PDC and you would continue to set the vision and guide the industry towards the future. We're, we're, cer we're certainly going to try, try to keep doing that. Um, it's, it's a fun time and, and uh, there's lots of people at PTC, including me, who love technology and love thinking about where could we go with it. And uh, yeah, we've been, we've been pushing hard and we're going to keep doing that. Thanks, Jim. Thanks for sharing um, your vision around how uh, AI is going to play a role um, in not just your business, but your customer's business, and even more broadly in, in business software, and also how is it going to impact uh, the society overall uh, going forward. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Business Resilience Series. Stay tuned for more such interesting episodes. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast from. To know more about Zenove, visit our website, www.zenove.com, or drop us a note at info at zenove.com. Follow us on Twitter at Zenove for regular updates on our content. Thank you again for listening to the Business Resilience series of the Zenove podcast.